0: They called me a madman, Columbus said, as he looked from his goblet to his friend Delacosa. Her Majesty's men said similar, doubters, all of them. He threw back the rest of his wine. I'm quite aware, Admiral, Delacosa said through a smile. His eyes wandered in the captain's quarters of the Santa Maria, a ship he himself owned, and lingered on the globe in the corner. Beneath the glossy finish, the eastern shores of Asia appeared tantalizingly attainable, across the Atlantic from Europe. Columbus poured another cup of the Castilian wine. They had topped off their reserves in the Canary Islands, but at this rate, they would be on their last bottle before they were even halfway to Asia, even if it was as close as Columbus had surmised. I want you to be there with me when we return and enter the palace, ships full of spice in the harbor, when we get to tell the royals and all of their sniveling academics that we were right. Columbus leaned back in his chair and began pulling at his beard. Delacosa took a sip. Let's go over the charts one more time, discuss hypotheticals. Jolted out of faraway thoughts, Columbus leaned over the table and moved books and astronomical charts aside to reveal a well-worn map of the known world. We left the canaries three days ago, lands us right about here. Columbus took a small coin and placed it on the map near the words, Great Western Ocean. As far as rations and morale go, that puts us right on track, he said, as he took another drink. And if the ocean is a bit bigger than that? Delacota asked carefully. Tell me you're not on their side, Columbus said, as the hanging lantern swayed as the ship bucked subtly in the uneasy ocean. Of course not, Admiral. I'm here, am I not? I just want to discuss rationing in light of certain contingencies to be prepared for the worst. "'You worry too much, my friend,' the now rosy-cheeked admiral said. "'Europe's too close to our stern for us to talk rationing. Keep your thoughts on the riches waiting for us in Asia, and the glory that will come with silencing the doubters back home. You fixate too much on the naysayers,' Delacosa sighed as he rose from his chair. He motioned to the map. "'You mind if I take this to my quarters to study?' Columbus held the empty wine bottle up to the light and examined it a moment before nodding. Thank you, sir, Delacosa said as he rolled up the charts. I'm telling you, Delacosa, when you see the pagodas of Japan piercing the dawn mist over the harbor, painted gold by the rising sun, it will be the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. I'm sure it will, Admiral. I'll see you in the morning. Columbus raised his goblet. Three weeks, my friend. Dream of towering pagodas and riches beyond compare. Three weeks passed, then another. Delicosa pored over the maps and charts, he fiddled with the quadrant and astrolabe himself, and sometimes just stared out into the night sky. He was no amateur when it came to the technique known as dead reckoning, by which a navigator's position could be triangulated using the North Star so every night he took his compass above decks to check and double-check the ship's location. Columbus seemed to be right on all counts. Twenty-eight days, and still no sight of land. By now, Delacosa had consigned himself to the genius of Columbus, but prayed they'd sight land soon. The crew was getting restless. Sitting in his cabin in the dark, he let out a heavy sigh and stretched. Then, standing... He walked to the door and stepped out into the passageway for some fresh air. As he walked over the worn planks of the Santa Maria, a route he had taken thousands of times, his mind raced. How long did they have before the crew lost faith? The rations were not running thin, not yet at least, but he had noticed the cook skimping on the last few suppers. When he emerged into the sunlight, salty wind lashed his face. His eyes adjusted to the brightness to see several sunburnt sailors going about their day's work. When they noticed him, they turned away, muttering to each other, it seemed, and glancing over their shoulders with disdain. Or maybe he had just imagined it. He squinted out at the Niña and the Pinta, sailing alongside them. Then up at the full sails of his beautiful Santa Maria. A sudden pride rose inside of him. His Santa Maria would be remembered in the history books as the flagship of the voyage that discovered the Western passage to Asia. Refreshed, Delacosa made his way back below decks. As he stepped off the last stair, he was greeted by the ship's cat. The cat nuzzled his foot. Delacosa groaned as he bent down to pet it. Friendly little bastard, he mumbled. As he stood again, he saw two of the ship's navigators approaching. They looked uneasy. The two men were some of the best navigators in Spain and had been hand picked for this journey. We need to talk, one of the navigators asked. Of course, Delacosa replied. Tonight, the other navigator whispered. Delacosa's eyes narrowed. This couldn't be good. Delacosa had agreed to meet the navigators on the deck that night. Only a few lanterns lit the deck of the ship, but the moon and the stars provided more than enough light. He walked towards the navigators, who waited near the bow, and greeted them. One held a compass. He motioned for Delacosa to look at it, but Delacosa unveiled his own a gift he'd received from a friend back in Spain. He looked up at the North Star, then back at his compass. The needle wobbled back and forth before steadying. His heart raced. The compass needle no longer pointed to the star it was supposed to. The navigator stared at him, wordless. Delicosa shook his compass and peered at it from different angles, but nothing made a difference. He grabbed the navigator's compass, but found that it, too, no longer aligned with the North Star. He could feel a cold sweat breaking on his forehead. Something was very wrong. The navigators urged Delacosa to arrange a meeting with Columbus. Delacosa agreed. He let out a tremendous sigh and looked out at a moonlit ocean that had never looked so vast. The following morning, Columbus was indisposed, and the meeting was postponed until sunset. Throughout the day, Delacosa imagined every conceivable outcome for the meeting. None of them went particularly well. The navigators worried how Columbus would react. Would he be angry, delusional? Would he have an easy answer to reassure them that everything was going according to plan? When the evening came, the three men shuffled into the meeting cabin in the Stern Castle, one by one. Delacosa was the last one in. Columbus sat at the head of the table. Beams of light from the setting sun danced in the room from the porthole. I believe you have some concerns about my navigation. I would love to hear them, Columbus said. We can no longer trust our compasses, one navigator blurted out. The needle veers farther from the North Star, the farther we sail west. Columbus said nothing. Without capable compasses, we lose our ability to navigate, said the other. Delicosa's eyes never left Columbus's face. He couldn't get a good read on him. I believed you all were educated men, Columbus said, placing a compass on the table, laughing. You assume the needle points to a star? No, it points to an invisible point on the globe. And you're willing to bet the crews of three ships on that? One of the navigators said. We all know you both have been trained in royal academies for years, Delicosa interjected. But every year you were studying, Columbus was on the seas navigating. Columbus nodded. Delacosa is right. We should be more concerned with practicing our Japanese than with your ineptitude regarding compasses. We should be concerned with navigation, the navigator exclaimed. I don't like the tone you're using to address a superior, Columbus snarled. The navigator stood. Your title only holds weight when you have the support of the crew, a crew that would be more than eager to turn tail back to Spain if they find out that the men on the ship whose job it is to know where we are, don't know where we are. Sir, if you will, Delacosa cut in. This is insubordination, Columbus said, now standing as well. The navigator stepped closer to Columbus. A crew that can't trust its navigators by St. Mary is sure to mutiny. Delacosa moved to restrain the man, but Columbus brushed him aside as he leaned even closer to the navigator. Unless a coward like you sows the seeds of a mutiny, a crew will trust its admiral and its lead navigator. Venom dripped from every word. I assure you, the navigator spat, there will be unrest without my help. His face and Columbus's were now inches apart. Shouting above the decks, the four men froze and listened. Silence for a moment. Then somewhere a sailor cried out, Land. Every member of the crew ran to the deck, their jaws dragging behind them. In the deep blue twilight, there it was. A small peak over the horizon. A mountain. Men danced and sang. Columbus's hands trembled as he raised his spyglass towards the horizon. Delacose's eyes welled up with tears. They had done it. With great effort, Columbus overcame his joy and began barking orders to the crew. Sailors sprinted to their positions. Others simply stood on the deck in amazement. Cheers floated over the water from the Niña and the Pinta. They approached the mountain on the horizon with incredible speed. Sailors fought over the few spyglasses on the ship, eager for their first glimpse of Asia. They cupped their hands around their eyes and squinted against the setting sun. Delicosa was the first to notice the sails. They were sagging not nearly full enough to justify this speed. Amongst the celebration, Delacosa went over to a barrel, pulled out a wine bottle, and then removed the cork. He walked to the railing of the Santa Maria and threw the cork overboard and watched carefully. The small cork floated alongside the ship at the same speed instead of being left behind. There was a current. Delacosa went to alert Columbus, who was jubilantly pacing the ship, giving orders. Admiral, Delacosa called out. Columbus turned, a furious excitement in his eyes. "'What is it, my friend?' he replied, shouting over the continual cheers. "'There seems to be a current propelling us forward,' Delacosa replied. Elation turned to curiosity among the crew. The lone mountain seemed to be an island, and it was now almost upon them. There was no other landmass in sight. Those who looked through the spyglasses noticed rushing water colliding with the mountain before flowing past. Beyond the mountain was nothing but twilight sky. In the span of a few minutes, the air became thick with moisture. Mist hovered all around them. Cosa noticed that sailors were now yelling in order to communicate. He rubbed his ears. A constant low roar would not go away. Columbus ordered the Santa Maria to slow down as they approached the mountain. All of the sails were folded up, but the ship's speed only increased. Joy that had turned to curiosity had now become fear. Screams could be heard from the Pinta, which was a few hundred yards ahead of the Santa Maria. Suddenly, the Pinta tipped forward and then was gone. A feeling of dread washed over Delacosa. The crew panicked, their eardrums assailed by the roar of a waterfall. Columbus screamed orders over the rumble, With the help of several crewmen, the pilot heaved the wheel to begin turning the vessel, but the Santa Maria's speed only continued to increase. Delacosa looked to the mountain as it passed, water rushing past along its shores. Chaos enveloped the Santa Maria as the deafening sound of rushing rapids shook the entire ship. Sailors began tying things down, while others screamed in panic. Delacosa watched as one man jumped overboard. The horizon of the world sank before their eyes. The entire ship creaked as it leaned towards the night sky, which was now sickeningly below them. Delacosa watched as Columbus stared into the void in disbelief. Screams could barely be heard over the roaring waterfall now. Horrified crewmen clung to whatever they could as the Santa Maria fell off the edge of the world and in to an endless starry night. Historium is written and produced by me, Jake Barton, with writing assistance from Thomas Harlander. Historium is a proud member of the Orbital Jigsaw Network. As I assume you noticed, this episode is a little different than usual. April Fools. I guess we could call this an alternate Historium. The inspiration for this episode was the age-old lie that no one would fund Columbus's expedition because at that time, everyone thought the Earth was flat and Columbus would simply sail off the edge of the Earth. In fact, people have known the Earth was a sphere since the time of Aristotle but I still wanted to explore the ridiculousness of what sailing off the edge of the world would actually look and feel like. I hope you enjoyed it. Crazy alternate history stuff like this will be appearing in Historium's bonus episode feed. To get access, you can support the show for five bucks a month on Patreon. You can find my page and those bonus episodes at patreon.com historium. There's also a link in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening.